0: Hi, this is Interviews episode 103 with Wayne Mullins, the founder of Ugly Mug Marketing. Wayne is a serial entrepreneur whose passion is to help entrepreneurs build exceptional teams and create high-performance cultures. He funded his agency, Ugly Marketing, I really like the name, 10 years ago, to help business owners drive results through exception marketing, branding, social media, and website design. Wayne influences more than 250,000 entrepreneurs annually through his blog, books, and training programs, and has personally worked with clients in over 100 industries. And while we're talking about books, don't forget to log on to my website and download your copy of my ebook, The Entrepreneur Mindset, seven tactics to avoid being the bottleneck in your business. You'll find the link in the show notes. Interviews is brought to you by SocialPrize, a global remote company that has been providing marketing and communication services since 2005. Their goal, help you thrive in the new normal. Log on their website to learn more, socialprize.me. Hey, Wayne, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Hey, Lauren, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this chat today.
0: Me too. So let's start with the name. Why such a name, Ugly Mug Marketing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, despite popular belief, it wasn't named after me. Uh, (laughs) The name actually (laughs) comes from
0: this gentleman.
1: (laughs) There you go. The ugly part's questionable, but uh, you know, <laughs> it comes from this gentleman of the name David Ogilvy, mm-hmm. um, of Ogilvy and Mather fame. So, Ogilvy and Mather, uh, for a long time, was the largest ad agency in the world. They are still in the top ten, so massive agency offices around the world. But one of their founders, David David Ogilvy, he had this saying that was: "I would rather an ad that is ugly and effective, over one that is beautiful but not effective." And so really the name Ugly Mug Marketing for us, um, you know, first of all, it's a play off of that, that quote or that phrase by David Ogilvy. but two, it, it serves as our North Star, if you will. Mm. It serves as a constant reminder that in the world that we live in, the, the marketing world, the agency world, there's always this pull, there's always this temptation to do things for creativity's sake or to do things for, uh, you know, making them more beautiful, making them more creative, more clever. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into that temptation. We'll fall into that trap and lose sight of the true reason that people hire us, that people come to us, which is they want results, whatever those results may be. So long answer to the short question, but um, it's, it's, you know, number one, it stands out. The name stands out. But number Mm -hmm. two, it reminds us of our calling, if you will.
0: Yeah. No, i think it's an an interesting um uh, topic of conversation because there are many agencies over uh, out there and you know what's the difference between one agency and and the other uh so why how are you different from others is it is it the focus on results like you saying
1: yeah I, I think it is um you know lauren so you're you're absolutely right it seems like there's Infinite number of agencies around. Um, there are also more and more freelancers, people who do, you know, specialized marketing things, whether that's digital or, you know, whatever it may be, social, web, um, and so, you know, for us, it's always been about results. You know, so in in a previous, before the agency, I had a couple of other businesses, and so I experienced firsthand what it's like to grow a business from scratch, no VC money, no you know outside investment whatsoever, and to grow that from scratch, to bootstrap a company. And so I'll understand the value of every single dollar and how when you're in those, those stages and those phases of growing your business, every dollar has to be held accountable. And so so much of what we do stems from my experience of, you know, hiring various people, various companies to help market my first company. And yes, I ended up with some beautiful things. I ended up with some very creative things, but did they actually produce results? Did they actually help grow the business? So for us, you know, we don't typically sign people into long-term contracts. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what we say is give us two months. At the end of two months, if you don't feel like you're getting results, if we don't feel like we're a good fit and they're going to be able to get you results, we don't want you to stay with us. We want you to go find someone who can. So it's that mentality that every single month we have to earn our keep. We yeah. have to deliver the results in order to stay.
0: Wow. This is uh, very bold, I would I would say, because... I mean, I used to work for an agency myself and we were always looking for long term contracts with with clients, but you are doing the opposite.
1: Yeah, we're doing the opposite. And again, it goes back to that fundamental belief that um, if we stay focused on the main thing, you know, if we keep the main thing, the main thing, then everything else will take care of itself, right? If if we can deliver for our clients results month after month, um, they're not going to get rid of us. They're going to keep us around. And it does, you know, it does create a different environment here, which ties into kind of what you were mentioning in, in the introduction. Um, we have to be a high performance. We have to be an accountable culture because of our commitments to our clients. It wouldn't work any other way for us.
0: Mm. And at the same time, it sounds to me like it's, it acts as some sort of warranty like, you know, you are so good at what you do. You know that you will provide results, but if you don't, then you can leave us.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think the agency model is very broken. It's where we we force people into these contracts, so 12 months, 24 months, whatever it is, and, you know, we get a few months in and, the client's unhappy because we're not producing the results they expected or hoped for. And then we become unhappy because we're attempting to deliver what they want, but for whatever reason, we're unable to deliver on that thing. So we're frustrated, they're frustrated, but yet we have to stick this out for another, you know, nine months or, mm-hmm. or 18 months or whatever it may be. And so it's just not it, it's not a good relationship. And right. uh, you know, I, I really believe that that clarity is the center point of all of that. So by not forcing people into long-term contracts, we, the responsibility falls on us as the agency to ensure that we are crystal clear with the client, that we probe, we ask the right questions to truly understand what is it that they are after? What is the result that they are after? And then, you know, we're not gonna commit to something, to a client, based on unrealistic expectations, right? So in seeking out the clarity of expectations, what do they want? What do they hope to have delivered? What results are they seeking? Um, it's our responsibility to then say, you know what, I don't think we can live up to those expectations. Let's renegotiate, if you will. Let's, let's come to a, an agreeable result or no hard feelings. We're, we're probably not the right fit for you. Um, so it's, it's the transparency and the, the clarity. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the
0: relationship as well. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about your journey now towards becoming a, an entrepreneur. Sure, absolutely.
1: So, Lauren, my, my journey actually began um, somehow mysteriously, I guess you will. <laughs> One year for Christmas, uh, when I was in, in college and university, my parents gave me some CDs. Yes, I'm of the CD age uh, from this, yeah. this man of the name Zig Ziglar. And they were some selling CDs. And I don't remember the exact title of that, but Zig Ziglar was teaching selling. And part of those CDs, he actually convinced me in listening to those that selling was and is the greatest profession that you could possibly go into. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I decided that I didn't know exactly what I wanted to sell, but I wanted to hone my sales skills. I wanted to get good at this, this skill called selling. And so it was from that point forward that that one gift, those one CDs, that the one message from Zig Ziglar to me, it, it kind of shaped and sculpted the rest of my journey. So right out of school, I decided to get a job in sales. Um, I was in sales for about three years, mm. and I was terrible at first, Lauren. I was absolutely <laughs> awful, um, but I stuck with it. You know, I'm I'm I've got that trait that a lot of entrepreneurs have, which is stubbornness hard headedness. Yeah. So I stuck, I stuck with it. I just kept showing up, kept knocking on doors, but also kept learning, right? So I kept studying and trying to improve, figuring out, you know, how do I get better? How do I improve my close ratios? How do I make it more efficient? In other words, how do I avoid knocking on all the wrong doors and figure out what are the right doors to knock on? Um, but then after three years, what I realized I, I got good at selling during that time. I, I realized that I was generating all this money for the company I was working for. I could see it on the sales report. And then I was looking at my paycheck and there was this great gap between those two things, right? Mm-hmm. All the money I was generating, my pay over here. And so I had this dangerous thought. What if I went and sold something for myself? You know, what, what, what would that look like? Would it be a business? Would it, you know, what would it be? And I, I sat down and I made a list of all the things that I could possibly go sell. And for me at the time, it was a very short list. The only other real skill I had, which I guess wasn't much of a skill, but it was cutting and maintaining lawns. So, cutting grass, maintaining lawns here. And, you know, much to the dismay of my parents, some friends, um, some family members, I decided to leave this great corporate sales job, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five, with all the benefits, and to go start a lawn and landscape company from scratch. And that was the beginning, I guess you could say, of my official entrepreneurial journey, which is, you know, through that progression has led me to where we are today, having this conversation. Wow.
0: (laughs) I've interviewed someone also who made made a business out of uh, cutting loans too.
1: Geography, then, I guess, has a lot to do with it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then and then what happened after like this this first business? Then you said because you said you, you operated like a couple of business before opening the agency, right?
1: Yep, yep. So during the course of actually growing that lawn care company, so uh, I started that business when I was twenty two or twenty three years old, and when I started that company, started literally from scratch, and over the course of a three year period, grew that company into, in our region, um, we were one of the top largest lawn care companies in the area. So um, I'd grown it to the point where I had one of two options. One option was to expand into other markets, which the next market to us is about 80 miles away. So logistics you know, played a big factor in that. Um, it really wasn't something that, that I wanted to pursue. So I decided to put the business up for sale. I'd never had that experience before. Um, so I hired a business broker to actually, you know, do all the things they need to do to, to market the business. And surprisingly, um, at least at the time, very surprisingly, they found a buyer within the first week. They had a buyer, we had a contract on the business. Um, and I had no clue what I was going to do next. You know, it was like, the idea was either expand in other markets or put the business up for sale and see what happens. You know, I wasn't expecting to sell that quickly. Um, so so in the course of growing that business, though, over that three-year period, we grew so rapidly that a lot of the clientele that we were serving, um, which were commercial accounts, businesses, restaurants, um, they they noticed, they noticed our growth. And so those clients of the lawn care company started coming to me and saying, "We we see your business expanding. We see you've gone from, you know, originally just you to you and some other people to you and now multiple crews what are you doing? How are you growing your business at that pace? And it was out of those conversations um, that I started doing initially, just, you know, having lunch with people, having coffee with people, and kind of explaining what we were doing to grow that business, to grow that lawn care company. Um, That turned into kind of this this consulting thing on the side, you know, I still have the business. Um, And so that then led me into doing Some consulting along the way. Um, During that same process, I was actually, I got involved in a couple of coffee shops. I was co owner in a couple of coffee shops. Again, all through doing this one thing, which was growing this lawn care company and people noticing the growth that was taking place there, the the rapid growth over a three year window. Um, And then fast forward a few years of, of kind of doing that on the side. Um, the idea came, what if I turn this into an actual agency? So instead of just me doing consulting here and there and, you know, working with people one-on-one, what if I started building out a team, other people to help facilitate and do certain things. And, you know, fast forward now, we're, we're 13 and a half years into it we're, uh, still growing. And, you know, it's what I would say, Lauren is it's a very controlled growth. Um, we could definitely grow at a much quicker pace. Um, but again, we are controlling the growth very intentionally. You know, we're growing on average about 25% per year, which for us is a very controlled level of growth.
0: Yeah. At the beginning of the conversation, you, you mentioned yeah. uh, one of the skills that entrepreneurs have. You said stubbornness. I prefer, I prefer to, uh, to talk about greed. Uh, And But then now I can see another skill that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Is the ability to uh, detect opportunities and grab them, <laughs> which which it seems that you also have. <laughs> what what are the other skills that you think are critical to be an entrepreneur, to be a successful entrepreneur?
1: Sure, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, grit is certainly a huge huge factor. I use the word stubbornness, but grit is you know the more modern term. There's a great book on that as well. Um, what i would say around specifically around grit and determination if you will is the mindset that nothing is below you and that you're willing in the early years to do whatever it takes and that that mentality still carries through today right so we're willing to do whatever it takes it's just it's shifted my role has shifted in that in other words Yes, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, but oftentimes those things now are taking place through other people. They are willing to do whatever it takes for their clients. So you know, a simple example of that, just to illustrate that, when, when I decided to start the lawn and landscape company, um, what I was doing initially before I quit my corporate job is on the week would go knocking on doors, right? I would go soliciting for the new lawn care company that was gonna be launching. And I remember going to a, a restaurant and the owner of the restaurant comes to me and he's like, you can absolutely take care of our lawn. But the thing is, I need you to come take care of it first thing Monday morning. It was their anniversary at the restaurant. It had to be done Monday morning. Well, the problem is I'm still committed to my job at the time. Mm-hmm. I haven't had officially left. I'd already put in my notice, but I had not left yet. And so I was at the restaurant at five o'clock in the morning with headlights from the vehicle shining on the lawn <laughs> out there. <laughs> Cutting the lawn, right, maintaining the lawn for them, Um, and then rushing back home to take a shower, get dressed, and go to my job. And as subtle or as simple as that little thing sounds, what unfortunately I see so often today is people who want to get into the entrepreneurial world, who want to do their own thing. They're unwilling to do whatever it takes. They somehow have this mentality that they're above those things, or they shouldn't be doing those things um and so yeah i completely agree with you that the grit the determination the the whatever it takes attitude is so important um another one i think that's so important for entrepreneurs and i wish i'd learned this lesson much much sooner it's this that um good advice applied at the wrong time is bad advice so mm. good advice applied at the wrong time is bad advice so the skill there or the 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 thing that we should have as entrepreneurs is discernment is another important skill. The ability to discern good advice from bad advice. So in the early days of an entrepreneurial endeavor, you're going to have just about anyone and everyone willing to give you advice. They're willing to give you their opinion. But I've come to the conclusion that there's a big difference between advice and opinion. Everyone in the world has an opinion Mm. about the business or the thing that you're trying to start or grow. Very few people should have the authority and the ability to give you meaningful advice. And so the discernment of knowing the difference between those two is so important, particularly in the early days. Because if you take what appears to be good advice and you apply it at the wrong time, without that discernment, it's actually going to hurt you. It's going to jeopardize your chances of success.
0: Nice, I like it. That's a word I haven't I haven't heard a lot after after 103 interviews. I have to say, good. So you said you started the, the ugly uh, ugly marketing like 13 years ago. How do you stay that long in, in the business, and how, how has the business evolved? Sure. Yeah, great question.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not. Um, I'm very similar to, I think, what a lot of entrepreneurs are in terms of the way they're wired, the way they're made up. You know, so for me, historically, if I look back, I typically work on this like three-year cycle. So in Mm. other words, after about three years, I'm like, I'm beginning to itch for the next thing. I'm beginning to say, okay, what's the next adventure? What's the next challenge? What's the next thing I can do? And so that played out in the agency as well. So three years in... I was like, I don't know if this is the thing I want to continue doing. Like, I want to go possibly pursue some other stuff. Um, But what I discovered in the sticking through it or sticking to the agency is this, that um, in any business, regardless of the business, you as the entrepreneur have the ability to reinvent what your role is and will be. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm constantly looking to evolve and shift what my role actually means so the most recent of this lauren is you know for the longest period of time i told myself this story that i wasn't good at leading and managing people right it was a it was a narrative it was a belief that played out in my head now there are some valid reasons i believe that it wasn't like i just made this up There was historical things that had taken place in in the lawn care company and my other businesses where I had this idea that I just wasn't good with people. Well, about five, six years ago, I decided that whether that was true or not, I was going to do something about it. I was going to challenge that narrative and I was going to completely change that narrative, narrative. And the reason is this, Lauren, I knew that if I wanted to take this agency to the next level, that I had to shift that narrative, right? I had to shift that belief, and so for me, that became my next challenge, right? That became the next thing where I could pour myself into, where I could pour my passion into, and so for me, the stick, you know, the stick to itness, I guess, the, the ability to stay with this for so long, has come from the fact that I am constantly looking for ways to reinvent what I do and how I serve within the agency
0: yeah did you use a coach to help you or did you do that so by yourself
1: now i've used coaches lauren for a very long time um, yeah. all the way back you know when i had the lawn and landscape company um, i actually through an indirect connection was connected with someone else who had a lawn and landscape company in another city that's about 150 miles away from here and he had his business for like 20 years at the time he had you know I think a half dozen different crews out in the fields and his business at the time when I went met with him was probably, you know, five times, maybe 10 times bigger than mine. And I went to him for advice. You know, I went to him saying, here's where I am. Here's where I want to go. What should I be doing? Um, fast forward. When I first started this business again, um, I bootstrapped this company. Uh, so Mm -hmm. again, all self-funded, self-growing, um, And I made a ton of mistakes early on with this agency. You know, I'd just come off some successes from other businesses. And so ego played a lot into my mindset at the time. I believed that I'd been so good at all these other things that this was just going to be a cakewalk. And I believed that I knew marketing so well because Mm. of the success I'd had in my other businesses, that if I just went and told other people what we were doing with regards to marketing they would say, of course, like, sign me up. Like, I want to be your client. And that didn't happen. So I went through several years of just intense, you know, like hitting my head against the wall, stubbornness, mostly because of ego. Um, But during that time, when literally there wasn't much money left, right? It's that that old adage, there was more month left than there was money. Um, I made a decision to hire a business coach at that time, I worked with that coach for probably three years. Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford the coach when I hired the coach. Um, He agreed to work with me for one year at a discounted rate. At the end of that year, the rate was going to go up to X dollars. And then at the end of another year, it was going to go up. So we worked together for about three years. At the end of that period, I had gotten what I needed from that coach. And I hired a different coach. Mm -hmm. This time, the coach went from, you know, at the end of that, that coach was about uh, 250 an hour. I think is what I was paying. Um, again, you have to rewind. This was a long time ago. Mm. Um, the next coach I hired was almost a thousand dollars an hour. Oof. It was an investment that was painful. Mm. It was an investment. Um, you know, it, it's the thing where you know they say that what we pay for, we pay attention to. Yeah. And so, in my opinion. We have to have skin in the game. We have to be willing to invest in ourselves. We have to do it at such a level that we feel it or else we don't take it seriously. So coaches, this long answer to your question, but coaches have been a part of you know, what I've done, seeking out mentors, unpaid mentors, you know, friends, colleagues, et cetera, always been a part of it. Paid coaching has always been a part of it as well. You know, since I started the agency, I don't know that I've gone more than maybe six months without some form of coaching or someone giving me outside input into the company.
0: What, so you mentioned you're going from a challenge to another challenge with a, a cycle of three years, more or less. What's the next challenge now for you or the current challenge?
1: Yeah, yeah. So right now where I'm really leaning into, so I, I mentioned kind of the last one was leading and managing people. Um, And I think it's a slight iteration. So the first part of that was my self-belief, right? Shifting my belief around my ability to lead, my ability to manage. And and now the next iteration of that is actually um, teaching my leaders on my team how to lead others well. What does it actually mean to lead others well? Um, How my goal, Lauren, is that every person that's a part of this team, when they leave working with our company or working for our company that they leave as better human beings mm-hmm. as a result of being here. But specifically, I want to build some remarkable leaders on my team. And I want these people to be world-class leaders, world-class experts. You know, I heard a story, this is a long time ago, I don't remember where I heard the story, but um, Andrew Carnegie was you know, this, this extremely wealthy guy who built the steel mills in America and worth, I don't remember, like hundreds of millions of dollars in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And a reporter came to Andrew Carnegie one time and said, Mr. Carnegie, um, report is that you have 23 millionaires. And so think about this, this is late 1800s, early 1900s. You have 23 millionaires working for you. Hmm. How is it that you were able to hire 23 millionaires? And his response was, none of them were millionaires before they came to work for me. And so my belief is this, I want people to come to me and say, how is it that you were able to hire so many world-class experts and leaders on your team? How is it that this little company from this little town in the middle of nowhere was able to attract and hire these people? And this part may sound a little vain or a little like I'm bragging, but I want to know internally that they weren't that way before they got here. Right, hmm. it was, um, you know, it's the the old adage of mining for gold. Right, there's a lot of dirt that's got to be moved to get down to the core of that gold. And I believe that's true for all people. Right, there's there's gold underneath there. Oftentimes they don't believe that it's there. Oftentimes they're not even searching for it on their own. But when we show them that the gold is there, that there's a glimpse of the gold, but there's this dirt that we have to work through and move through. Um, so. That's my answer to that. Again, sorry,
0: long answer. No, but- no, no, it's fine. It's a, it's a great answer. I love, I love it. You're really talking about uh, building a, company, a company's culture here. Okay, so let's be a bit practical. You are uh, a pro in marketing. Give us some, some some tips, some marketing tips, you know, because I'm sure I'm sure uh, the audience will expect that. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> yeah. always expects tips in marketing. Oh, can I do better on social media? You know, or oh, can I get more likes and shares? What about my website, etc.?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with a super broad thing and then we'll get yeah. very specific. So number one is what is the definition of marketing? And this is where, Lauren, I think so many people mess up they assume that marketing and advertising are the same thing, Mm. that marketing, advertising is the same thing. And they're not. Advertising is merely a piece or a component of marketing. And so there's a lot of great definitions of marketing. The one we love to use is this. Marketing is your ability to attract and to keep a customer, to attract and to keep a customer. Mm -hmm. So the attraction side is often the advertising side. The keeping side is where I believe most people completely screw up and most people completely ignore. So if I were to survey everyone listening and say, you know, what percentage of your marketing budget goes to attracting people and what percentage of your marketing budget goes to keeping. And when I say the word keeping, what I mean is, how do we take existing customers, existing clients and turn them into evangelists for our brand? How do we do that? And when I survey people and ask that question, usually 95 plus percent of the budget goes to attracting new people and 5% or less goes to keeping. And this is what I would say is that we live in a world where every single person, just about on the entire planet, has this little device that they carry in their purse or their pocket or their backpack or wherever it may be called a smartphone. Yeah. And on this smartphone, literally within seconds, they have the ability to broadcast their beliefs about our products, our services, our company to the world, right? So they can put it on social media, they can email their friends, they can text their friends, they can reach a lot of people. And yet as marketers, what are we doing about this? What are we doing to convert existing customers, existing clients into evangelists who love us so much, who love our products and services so much that they're willing to go out and share positive messages about our products and services. And so big concept again, that's that's the big picture, but I think it's so important. It's easy to hear what I just said and like, yeah, that's great, Like, I, we should probably be doing that. But I would challenge those listening to spend some time reflecting on your marketing budget. What percent is going to attract and what percent is going to keeping? and regardless of what the equation is, Make a commitment to move people, move some of your budget from attracting to keeping. Now, it's the difference between the short-term game and the long-term game, Mm. right? When you create evangelists, it's not a short-term game. And unfortunately, we live in a world, we live in this culture where we think so short-sighted, right? We don't think long-term but if your goal is to build a business that's going to be here for the long run that's going to be here in the long term we have to shift our thinking at least part of it to what are we doing to keep and convert these people into evangelists for our company so nice big concept
0: i already think about at least 3 clients in my mind <laughs> i'm like buddy to talk to them about that <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it's so counterintuitive. Um, let me let me dive into a few tactical sure. things for you real quick. Um, and and what I what I want people to hear this is so important because it it directly influences our beliefs about marketing. It directly influences our beliefs about short term versus long term investments in our business. So if you want long term long term results or long term returns on your marketing efforts. That's a different mindset than what's the next Facebook ad I can go put up, or what's the next post I can make, or what's the next e-blast I can put out. And so when we look around, so whatever your business or industry is, the way that most people approach marketing is they look around their industry and they see a competitor who is doing X really well. So they look over there and there's this competitor over here who's doing Instagram really, really well, right? And... By all outward appearances, they're very successful competitor. They're doing really well. And so what do we do? We're like, man, they do Instagram well, they're successful. Therefore, those two things must be connected, right? The the doing Instagram well must cause the business success. And so sometimes we confuse causation with correlation. Hmm. That's mistake number one, we have to be very careful of. But mistake number two is, We look at this thing called Instagram, we look at what they're doing there, and we see that and we say, um, you know, I need to go do that thing. I need to go take that action. I need to go create, you know, some creative photos, some great looking photos or some great stories or whatever it may be, choose the platform, it could be email. And we confuse the difference between the action they're taking with the asset they are building. So the asset that they are building is a responsive following on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. So they're building followers who are responsive to the messages they put out. But let's say, Lawrence, that I'm terrible at photography. like I can't take a picture to save my life. But yet, if I see my competitor doing it well and I believe that I need to go do the same thing, I'm setting myself up for failure because it's not in my natural skills and abilities and within my talent. And so instead of looking at the action, we must pull back a little bit and look underneath it and say, what is the actual asset? So the asset is a responsive following. Well, for me, maybe I'm better at writing. So maybe I can build a newsletter. Maybe I can write an article on Medium. Maybe I can, you you name it, to build a responsive following somewhere else. So I think a tactical thing that people can and should do is to look at everything that they're currently doing, ask yourself, which of these things are we doing in terms of marketing as a result of what we saw someone else doing? And be truthful, like, you know, be honest with yourself because very often we end up doing things because we saw someone else doing it and we believe there's causation. In other words, they're doing Instagram, they're successful. Therefore, those two things are linked. When in reality, they may be corollary, right? They're just, they happen to be good at Instagram and their business happens to be doing well. So ask yourself, you know, what are we doing because other people are doing it? Number two, what are the true assets that we need to build in our business? And then what are our
0: marketing efforts around those specific things? While you're talking, I'm thinking about myself. Definitely Instagram is the answer. (laughs) Definitely. I did it because I was told to do it and I tried to reproduce what others do, but I really don't like it.
1: Yeah. And and so that, though, like you're willing to admit that is a critical thing that most people never take the time to address. Mm. We get so busy doing all these different things. We have all these, you know, I hate to use the cliche analogy, but we have all these plates spinning And all we're doing is running around trying to keep these plates spinning so they don't fall off and crash to the ground. Instead, sometimes we need to step back. We need to take time away and really analyze why we're doing what we're doing. What can and should we let go of? You know, sometimes I I believe that, um, that, you know, we, we come to this entrepreneurial journey, to the marketing journey with this idea of, If I figure out the next thing, right? So if TikTok's the thing or if it's whatever, Snapchat or whatever the next thing is, like once I finally crack the thing, success is going to happen. Like it's just going to all of a sudden start pouring in. And oftentimes what I believe to be true is that instead of the one more thing that needs to be added for us to be successful, there's actually something that's constraining our success that needs to be removed. And once we determine what that constraint is, once we remove that constraint, everything else changes. And it's a difference in mindset. The mindset that most of us as entrepreneurs, because we're wired a certain way typically, is we're looking around all the different things we can and should be doing. And we're pouring these things in, thinking that at some point, one of these things, one of these coaches, one of these gurus, one of these platforms is going to be the magic answer for us. And unfortunately that for the most never happens, but what does often happen is we realize there's something that was hindering, something that was blocking, preventing our success. And once that thing is removed from the equation, everything else flows so easily and so naturally in our businesses.
0: Wayne, you are a fascinating guest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So- Unfortunately, I need I need to wrap up the the conversation. So I have two more questions for you. Sure. Um, the first one: take all the experience that you have and you know uh, summarize it into one practical recommendation for other entrepreneurs. What would it be?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I would say that um, the one short sentence would be this: consistency creates miracles. Consistency creates miracles, and again. The super quick sentence is that as entrepreneurs, we love doing a lot of things. We hate repetitiveness, right? We're often very creative, but we have to work on ourselves. We have to learn to be consistent in the things that make a difference, not just in the short term, but in the long term as well.
0: And the last question then, how can people contact you?
1: Sure. The simplest way is just on our website, and that's just uglymugmarketing.com. You got email addresses, phone numbers, social media links, all that right there in one spot.
0: Excellent, Wen. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Lauren. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, come and chat with you today.
0: And thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. Reach out to me by email or LinkedIn and let me know what your favorite part of this episode was. See you next time. Bye-bye.